Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because party of redemption, your table is now ready. Well, hey everybody, welcome once again to what we hope is one of the most positive tables, positive listening experiences you have in the course of your week. That's our goal. We bring a lot of different people to this table. We've had Grammy winners. We've had New York Times best-selling authors. We've had individuals who shot somebody and killed them. Never know who's going to show up at Redemption's table. That's the beauty, though. There's a, there's a seat for everybody at this table. Today, we're talking to somebody who's won an Emmy and also someone who has robbed a bank. Same person. If you've followed sports at all in the last 25 years, you've witnessed the magic of today's special podcast guest. In less than 10 years into business, Michael Crane became the most sought-after quick-cut highlight package editor in the wide, wide world of sports. From ESPN to CBS to the NCAA tournament to the French Open to the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece, where he helped NBC win that Emmy, Michael just about done it all. We cut to 2007, the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. That's where our story will pick up today. Michael was in town for the very first time for his very first Masters. But the morning that he was scheduled to go to work, he made a decision that changed his life. We're going to hear this story, and when you hear parts of it, you may be going, he did what? I'm just going to stop right here and say everybody that I know has those moments in their life where when you tell your story, a person might go, you did what? The beauty of that is that God can take anything that somebody can look at or say, you did what? You said what? God could take all of that and do amazing things from that, these events that happen in our lives. So lean in, let's get rolling. I am blessed today. We're blessed today to have to the table a man by the name of Michael Crane. Michael, welcome to the table. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on today. You were recommended by Matt Coulter, who is the voice of Talladega. Um, and you and Matt have been friends for a while. Me and Matt go back probably 20 years in sports broadcasting, which is where we first met. And um, great guy. He has been uh, a cornerstone of, of my career. He's been with me pretty much through the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Michael, when Matt first told me about you, my response to what he – and he just kind of gave me a one-liner, which you're going to unpack it. But he just – he told me something that happened in your life 
kind of a pivot moment in your life. And my response, my mouth, I don't even think I said anything. I think my mouth dropped, dropped open when he said it. And I was like, wow. I said, I'd like to talk to him and, and uh, bring into the story. And I just want you to know, uh, I have had those moments where I wish I could go back and rewind and hit the, you know, just scoot back. But you had a moment come up. Um, was it 2007? Is that right? 2007. Um May 30th or 31st, May 30th or 31st of 2007, um, had a very unproud moment while in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, you, our listeners may have heard of this moment, but they may not connect it with you. And uh, you were there in Augusta. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you were doing uh, and on that particular Monday morning, because uh, you were there to cover the Masters, which is a pretty huge deal. That's correct. Uh, just, you know, a brief 45 seconds about my background and how I ended up in Augusta is I've been in sports broadcasting leading up to that point at 10 years and had covered just about every major sporting event in the world except the Masters. So heading into Augusta was one of the most exciting times of my life. I'm a golfer, so I'm, I'm excited about being in Augusta and um, got there on a Sunday. And that Monday morning, my excitement went from excitement to uh, absolute fear in a matter of moments. Um, that the night before, and I had, I'd gotten to where I I lived kind of a party lifestyle. I drank a lot, um, did a lot of cocaine, and got the bright idea on that Sunday night to go out and get some cocaine. Ended up smoking crack all night Sunday night thinking I was still end up going to work Monday morning just fine, which I had done on previous occasions. Well, this Monday morning, something was different. And it once the party started, I had this broad idea. We're going to just keep partying. It was only a practice round. Maybe I can miss a day of work. And I was out of cash. Uh, we went through all my cash the night before, and I got the bright idea to walk into a Wachovia bank, which was just down the street from my hotel, and actually robbed the Wachovia bank for $1,500, which was about $6,000 less than I would have made if I would have worked that week. Wow. And the, the thing you told me earlier when we were talking uh, a few days back, you had money. You didn't really need to, to, to go there, but, you, but it was just a, a, a decision. It's, you know, looking back on things, how things work in life, it, it took a lot of things leading up for that to ever happen is the week prior to the, going to Augusta, I had actually banked with Wachovia and was engaged at the time. And we had transferred all of my money out of Wachovia into the Compass Bank. And back then, they didn't have the instant debit cards. So I just carried cash, and there was no Compass Bank in Augusta, or I think the nearest one was four hours away. And so, sure, why not walk in and actually write the uh, the robbery note on a deposit slip that had my name on the back of it? Yeah. yeah when he told me the story, and then when we talked, the uh, there was a, there's a scene from a movie that came to my mind. I don't know if you've ever watched The Magnificent Seven with Steve McQueen 
uh, the King of Cool is what McQueen was known as. And he tells a story in, in talking to Yul Brenner, one gunfighter to the other, and he talks about a man who one day looked at a pile of cactus and he stripped down uh, to his <laughs> and, and jumped in a pile of cactus. And somebody walked by and said, what are you doing there in that pile of cactus? And his response seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. I don't, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if it ever really seemed like a good idea. It just, one of those moments where never before or after have I stolen and it just, Drugs will do crazy things to your mind. Um, and one of those moments that you look back and go, I mean, even as after I walked out of the bank and got back to the hotel, I'm going, what did I just, I, I, I'm having a hard time going through my head that I just actually did what I did. Uh, and even people back home are going, when my name hit the news, they're going, oh, that's got to be a different Michael Crane. There's no way that, that, that Michael did that. And, but yeah, I did. And, it just shows you sometimes when you get away from where you're supposed to be spiritually, you know, you make mistakes and, and wander off. And, but it's, it's amazing that what God can take that mistake and what he can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want you to hear, and I want our listeners to hear the, the words that come to my mind is John chapter eight, where Jesus told the woman who was brought before him in a position where it's like, okay, we, you know, we caught her. And we're bringing her to you. And his response was and to her, no one condemns you, neither do I. And, uh, you know, a beautiful moment of uh, forgiveness being offered mercy, just like, you know, such a heart of love and compassion. And I know you know that personally uh, from him, but I want you to hear that from me, too, because, again, well, I've, I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've had my moments. That's that's really been the hardest part coming out of, of prison. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at ways I can use my story to help. And there, and there's several avenues and I'm sure we'll go through them. But one of the ones I found out is coming out of prison is hard. Uh, and there's a lot of really good people that are in there for whatever reason, you know, maybe some of them robbed a bank like me or some of them sold drugs because they had to feed their family. But coming out of prison, I had all the, advantages you could have. I had a, a built, you know, a, a sellable skill. I, I had a good reputation as being really good at what I did, uh, come from a family that had money and still it was almost impossible to find a job. In fact, my very first job out of prison was cleaning porta potties for minimum wage. And so I'm sitting here going, if, if I'm having this much trouble, there's good people in that's, having probably even a harder time that are, that could contribute to society, but we tend to not give them the opportunities that maybe we should. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be one of my platforms that I really fight for. Cause I met some good people in there. I've met good people since. And, and there's, there's, there's people that don't want to change and that's fine. They're happy where they're at, but there are people that want to change and they just need opportunities. Yeah. And so, for whatever reason, because of my story, people will listen and, and take interest. And hopefully if they take interest, they'll hear, hear that and go, maybe I should change my viewpoint just a little bit. You know, the, the guy coming in doesn't want empathy. He doesn't want you to feel sorry for him or 
whole time he's working to be looked at as a criminal. He just wants to come in as anybody else and, and show you that he can do as good of a job as anyone else. Yeah. And so I think that's one thing that society doesn't see uh, unless you've been through those circumstances. Yeah. We are very prone to put labels on people to get them categorized quickly and to process them. And, and we do it all the time. Um, I led a worship um, ministry called broken for a little over two years. And the catchphrase to broken, I believe firmly everybody's broken. Um, all of us are broken. If we were not broken, we would not have need of a savior. We would not need Jesus if we weren't broken. And the catchphrase was uh, broken. It's who we are, not all we are. That's that's, that's very good. That we are not, yeah, there's no one moment that defines us except the moment when we surrender to him and and that defines us. That defines everything about us. Well, I always tell people, you know, your mistakes, your mistakes are not what define you. It's what you do after the mistake that will define you. And, and we're also quick to we have a bad judgment problem as, as human beings that I think it's natural, but we have a tendency to judge a lot of times as to, you know, how God works. And I just think that God could use a lot of people if, if we, as a society, gave people chances. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going to prison, would I, would I ever volunteer to God to go back and do that time over? Absolutely not, because I do not want to ever walk that path again. But it's also probably one of the best things that happened to me as far as developing me into who I am today mm-hmm. and finding actual care for humanity and, and people that I had not had before I went in. Yeah. Well, back up a little bit in your in your life. You, you were raised right outside of Birmingham, Warrior, Alabama. Uh, did faith play a role in your early life, Michael? Oh, yes. Uh, my dad's Southern Baptist. I mean, by the letter in the Bible. Um, great guy. I think I, I, I may have heard him cuss once in my whole life, but had us in church. Um, just a good, good guy, a uh, good father and, mm-hmm. and raised in church. My mom, my whole family, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all were raised in church. So that's definitely a background I had growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, and, and in high school, I, I would say I was a goody teacher, but I, I didn't get in much trouble in high school. I, I maybe drank once or twice. It was when I hit college, uh, playing college football and running around, you know, kind of with our heads up high that, uh, I got into the party and started drinking. And, and that's kind of where I lost focus of, I don't want to say lost focus of who I was, but got put on a different path and I, then coming from a small town, little uh, place like Corner, Alabama. Yeah, you, um, you, you, I just, you just had a Sports Illustrated article come out about you back at the end of March, and in the article, one of the things it uh, mentioned was that your skill with uh, working, doing what you do. Tell us what you do with with sporting events. What's your skill? Um, so at live sports, I, I've got a little video editing machine that uh, takes in anywhere from four to eight cameras. And I sit there and watch them all come in and I'll do the replays, but also I'll cut highlight packages for if a running back's having a good game, I'll put three or four runs together front end, back in. 
and then we play it out. And anytime you saw something cut to music, like going to a break or coming back from half, that's you know a bunch of fan shots and stuff like that. I'd be the one to edit that to edit that to music. And and based on what I read in the article, you learned your ability to do this pretty quickly. You actually said yes to yeah, I can do that before you really knew anything about it. But it was like you stepped into something you were exceptionally gifted at. It 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 came natural. It's definitely it was definitely a God given gift. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, I had taken a job as a tape operator, which was just doing replays off tape back back in the old days. And I got a call to run this new machine coming out. It's called an EVS. And I was definitely you know, needed money. I was still young and had a young family. And so I told the lady, yes, I absolutely, I can run it. And I call a buddy of mine as soon as I get off the phone. And I said, Hey Wayne, I've done, uh, I've done screwed up. I just told Sandy I could run an EVS and I've never even seen one. And he says, don't worry about it. Michael. He said, I've got a manual. He said, I'm on the same show. We'll read the manual the night before. So in Lake Class in New York, we sit up all night reading the manual on how to run the machine. <laughs> and you and you are good at it. You uh you you the, became the people were asking for you. You were that good. Um or are that good. I won't say words are that good. I, I mean I've I've been blessed. I've covered Super Bowls, Final Fours, uh was the lead the lead editor at the uh 04 Olympics in Athens, Greece, got an Emmy for that. Um I, it, it was a God given gift. I was, I, my love for sports and playing sports my whole life helped me understand the game, mm-hmm. which helped me tell the stories that was a more of a natural flow. And I was really fast. I could, I could put together editing packages really fast. Okay. So you won an Emmy for this? Yeah, I won an Emmy back in 04 for the work we did uh, at the uh, Athens, Greece Olympics. Wow. One of my favorite lines in the article uh here's what he wrote uh and the guy who wrote the article what's his name again john wortham of sports illustrated and john is if for anybody that has a chance you know to go out there and read the article john is a superb writer uh spent a day with me over in atlanta and just did an outstanding job fact checking and he he didn't take it easy on me but he also told a, he, he did a great job writing the article yeah well, I don't know if he's quoting somebody here or else he, he, he wrote this, but I love this line. He said this about you. He said, Michael had an innate ability to see things and more importantly, to present them in meaningful ways. And I thought that was very telling there that you, you know, you just, you, uh, that just shows you bring, you brought heart to light. You, know, you, you saw right. uh, you saw wonder in it, maybe, or you you tell me. I mean, I thought that I, was very descriptive. I've been a, I've been a dreamer most of my life. Um, I wanted to work for ESPN when I was twelve years old, or either play professional football, and got the chance to play college football and work for ESPN. And uh, I've just always been one of those guys that thought, "Hey, dream!" And in fact, we we did a shirt in high school that said, "Dream big or don't dream at all." And and God's been good to me and gave me the opportunities to do a lot of things that a small town kid like me never would have thought that he could. Yeah. And, and actually gave me the talent to be successful at it. Yeah. So it's, it's been a, it's been a wild road, uh, something that I would have never thought of as a kid thinking this would be my path. Yeah. 
So you were in Augusta in 2007 uh, on that Monday morning when you robbed the bank. There was an ink pack in the money bag. And that would pick, kind of pick it up, pick us up from there. And then for the next few years, uh, what, what the right. aftermath of that. So when I walked back to the car, they didn't actually put the money in a bag. I just had it in my hand. It was a lot of bills, but they had put the money, uh, a die pack or whatever on the bottom of the bills. And as I got into the car that I remember the window being rolled down. So as I shut the door, I had my hand hanging out the window to shut the door and the die pack went off on the outside of the car. So I've heard all kinds of stories. I've heard that they showed up at the hotel and I had die covered head to toe. It was all over my clothes. I, I've heard that I showed up at the at work with Dial and the cops arrested me there. And truth is, is after we got back to the hotel, the two people that were in the car with me left with all the money. Uh, I sat down and actually put in an anonymous call. They cops show up, and uh, when they arrested me, I mean, they literally came. I, I want to say they were seven or eight cars deep when they pulled in, and almost threw me through the hotel window. You know just pick me up and throw me around. They, they thought they'd caught the biggest bank robber in the history of the, the America. And it, it, it was just, it, it happened in slow, it happened fast, but it happened in slow motion, if that makes any sense. Okay. And so immediately they went to question me inside the hotel room and I began to tell them, Hey, I, I'm here in town and I just, I just made a big mistake. Basically I was thinking of every way in the world to get out of this thing, you know, because this was a dumb mistake. I'll give the money back. I, and when I told them I worked for CBS, they started laughing. And they really thought I was off my rocker then because that, that really gets stupid. And so I gave them um, one of the guys' contact points at the facility at the Masters, and they reached out, confirmed it. CBS had to call a press conference in New York to confirm it. Later that night, ESPN, uh, I was the first story on ESPN that night. Uh, it was – it made national headlines just because of being at the Masters, not because of, you know, me or CBS employee, just because it was at the Masters week. And and so they uh, sentenced me to 29 months in federal prison – or 37 months, I ended up doing 29 months with uh, 15% off of good time. And it was an eye-opening experience. Yeah. I, I've – you know, I've always grown up, even with my well, work, traveling a lot, I would say cultured and, and with diverse friends. But being in prison, you get to know people. I mean, you spend day in, day out with them. And so you start getting to know people and learning to listen to their stories and, and understand why they, where they come from. And, you know, my dumb self was in there for being an idiot. Most, you know, a lot of people's in there, they've just had hard paths from day one. Mm-hmm. And so you, you really start understanding, you know, that there's good people in there. There's really, you know, there's smart people. There's, there's people that want second chances that's trying. And, and so I, I really got to know people in there. And to this day, I say that it's shaped me into who I am. I, I, I care about people. I mean, anybody that knows me will tell you, I genuinely care about people. It's, it's something that I've grown into. Uh, I used to, and, and being what I do, you, you have to have a, a certain amount of ego. You mm-hmm. can't walk in and do some of the things we do and, and not have that confident level. But I've learned to 
put that way on the back burner and, and really focus on what I can do with the talents I'm being given, the opportunities I'm being given with a story to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I noted in, in the article and, and the nature of what you, what you were doing uh, so much of your job was fast, quick decisions. And uh, you're kind of, you know, and then it, actually, as I read the article too, about what happened there when you went to the bank, that kind of came on a quick decision. It was. And, and how, you know, uh, and you, you talked about, you know, your, your learning and of course prison is, was that time of just kind of like coming to a complete stop from running wide open to coming to a complete stop. But how challenging was it to adapt to the slow um, from, from being um, fast to slow? How, how, what, what were the challenges in that? I don't know if I ever really experienced the adaptation of fast to slow simply because I was going from living a pretty well-off lifestyle to adapting to fear at first and just this whole new world. So I don't know if I ever as much noticed the slow as I did the just complete change of way of thinking and, and, and understanding people because when you go in there, you better not have an ego and come in with a smart mouth. You better learn to respect people. Mm -hmm. And so I went in with eyes wide open and, and so it, I don't know if it was ever that slow for me because you're constantly, for me, it was such a new atmosphere. I'm just constantly learning things and learning people and, and, and just learning to, respect an environment that wasn't mine or wasn't what I was used to. And so learning to respect that environment. This is called redemption's table. The closing line in the article sports illustrated article talks about uh, um, how you are finally trying to author a redemptive ending. And it just, the, what does redemption mean to you, Michael? Um, <sighs> That's a word that, that seems to be getting used a lot. To me, it's, it's being given a chance to use your life, for one, to turn your life around, because my life has not been easy since. Um, mm -hmm. I've, it's just been recently I've forgiven myself. I, I, have, I have beat myself to pieces. Um, but redemption is getting a chance to, in my opinion, is getting a chance to use the things you've learned mm -hmm. and offer it to other people and, and get a second chance in life. It's a second chance to do something good uh, through the journey that you had. And, you know, it's a chance for me to do to, to, if an atheist listens to my story, look, a small town kid from corner who ends up working for ESPN baseball program this this and this there's i'm not smart enough to do that on my own and mm -hmm. so anybody that hears my story has to go okay there's something bigger than us there's you know and it, to me it's an, a chance to say okay there's there's a god and if you can't look at my life and and, and see that then something's wrong and what's bad is that even i still have questioned god since that time um but there's no way I could have done the things I've done, both good and bad, and be sitting here today with a chance for my story 
to impact a lot of lives for the better. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, th- I think, and I think it's perfect, perfectly natural to still keep questioning because redemption is so good. It sounds too good to be true. Uh, it's sometimes hard to accept. Yeah. 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 It's, sometimes it's hard to accept. Yeah. One of my favorite I, quotes, I will say it occasionally on the podcast, uh, what God allows, he redeems. And what God allows is our free will. But what God allows, he redeems. The caveat is if what he has allowed in our lives is surrendered to him to redeem it. But he's very good at what he does. Redemption is just, ah, it's amazing to me. Uh, it's, I could have never dreamt up. It, along the way, I've, I found out after a suicide attempt that I started writing down things I lost and, you know, I'm going to get these things back, family, career, yada, yada, yada. And the last thing I put on there is I've got to find my purpose because if God's keeping me alive, there's, there's got to be a purpose in my life. And, mm-hmm. and I have found out a lot of my biggest joy in life, some of my biggest moments is when I've had an opportunity to get a kid into college playing baseball or, or help somebody that, you know, you just for whatever reason you do. And, and, and that's been some of the best moments in my life. And that's, I'm going to tell you, I've met some of the best people in the world and done some of the best things I've done has been when I've been around people that needed help. And, and we all needed help. I told my dad last night, I said, I, I was saved at the bottom. Uh, and it was by people that were at the bottom with me. And, and that's been my chance of redemption more than anything is getting a chance to meet people that I wouldn't have met had I not made some of the dumb decisions in my life. No, I'm not advocating go out and make dumb decisions because uh, everybody has their own path as to where they get what they need to out of life. But it's it uh, put me around people that I wouldn't have been around otherwise and have made great friends with people that I would have never met. Yeah. And that's I, when I get to heaven, I'm pretty sure that's when God will say, Michael, forget all the stuff you did for ESPN or some pro athletes might have helped. Good job. When that's, I think that's been where I've been my best. And it's also been where I've been my worst, but um, I've met some people that's great people that have saved my life there as well. Yeah. Somebody listening to your story today, uh, tuned into the podcast. Uh, what do you want to encourage them to take away from your, from your example and from, from, you know, what you have to share? Well, you said it pretty well when God gives us free will and, and when we make the mistakes, the chance for redemption, it's, it's real. I mean, you look at my life and the direction it's going, he's putting me in places that are going to have an opportunity to help a lot of youth through baseball, through sports, a chance to possibly talk to a lot of college and pro athletes with, you know, advice on them for when their career ends. We all go through some tough struggles. I mean, we all have we all have struggles, every single one of us. And it's a hard journey back. I mean, and probably the last person you're going to end up that, that's going to need forgiveness is yourself, from yourself. It, it's not going to be easy. Um, I, I tell people all the time, dream big. You know, because even when you fall, still set big goals. Now, the warning when that comes when you set big goals, 
the, the journey is going to be a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. But I also encourage people that's listening that own businesses or are other ways of helping people that give give these guys a second shot. And, and there's going to be times you're going you're gonna to end up getting burnt. That's, mm-hmm. But you're going to get burnt by people that haven't been to prison. Um, give, these, give some of these people a second shot because if the ones that stick and there's going to have the same percentage as the ones that do, the ones that you get, they will give you everything they got. Yeah. Because when you come out of prison, you feel like you've got something to prove. And they will, but they want to be – they don't want to be – and I know maybe we've – Everybody says, well, you lost your rights when you com- committed a crime. Well, actually, when you sit behind a prison fence, you, you did, did your time. And I think as a society, we need to be a little bit more non-judgmental because just about everybody's – I work in the law library, and just about everybody sitting here listening to this mm-hmm. has committed a crime that can put them in federal prison. There's that many federal laws. Um, so, you know, these just people just had their mistakes exposed. Going out and getting high – is no different than dropping the alphabet. A sin's a sin's a sin. And it's just unfortunately these have some more public consequences. But if you're listening to this, obviously you're a Christian or at least, you know, being led that way. And in, in the eyes of Christ, they're all the same. And so I think if it would judge people on a more even scale, judge people how we would want to be judged ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of times is maybe not at all. Because yeah. I know some people don't want you going in their, their closet uh, judging them for the things you don't see. Yeah. Yeah. The only difference is that, uh, you know, my sin has not put me in uh, a literal jail cell. Right. But it, but it has put me in a spiritual jail cell. And I didn't and have those maybe those are those may be just as bad as a regular prison cell. Cell, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, because you can walk around um, and not realize you're in prison. That's right. And it's, it's when, and when you realize it, it's rough because then you, you're wondering how do you get out and redemption is the way. Yeah. And I want to reiterate, you know, what you said as far as, you know, you said you might get burned. Man, love gets burned. Any, the that's risk, right. you know, but it's worth the risk always. Um, I mean, Going again to the example of Jesus, he got burned on the cross because there's a lot of forgiveness he offered that's never going to be accepted, unfortunately. Uh, But he paid for it all all anyway. He picked up the – he didn't just pick up the tab for the ones that would ask him forgiveness. He picked it all up. Hard to believe. Yeah. But it's – it's, and, um, you know, I'm not – I'll tell you, almost like Steve Harvey says, I'm not a diehard – I mean, I, I don't know the Bible back to front. Uh, he says that he likes to say beginner Christian. I, I'd say I'm more of a middle of the road Christian. Um, but I know he works in my life mm-hmm. and he's given me second chances and they've come from the most odd of places. And so I, I just encourage people for one, if you're in that dark place, keep going. I, I'll never tell you I'm a counselor or got the answer for you outside of, you know, seek Christ. But even when you seek Christ, it's not always going to be immediate relief. It may be a year journey. It may be a two year journey, but it, it will be a journey that will have an ending to it at some point. And you just have, sometimes you just got to tough it out. Yeah. And that's, 
and that's as real as it gets. Sometimes there is no answer to the end of your depression or, or it's just, you've got to tough it out until God makes it better. And usually the longer of the, the spells have to sit there and go through it usually means he's preparing you for something. Yeah. Um, he has a funny way of taking all of our mess in life and going, hold on, let me polish that up and turn it into a gold ball that, that shines and it's no longer about, and I, and I told John, I said, you know, if I, if I had not robbed that bank, I'd still be some, you know, high society thinks he's everything EVS guy running around traveling all over the world. Instead, because of it, it, it humbled me and it also changed my view on humanity. And now I'm someone that, yes, I still get to do some of the cool things with work, but I also get the chance to get back. And that's, that's, you, you can't find a better purpose in life than taking your mistakes and helping other people possibly avoid those mistakes and not have to experience some of the hardships you have. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good insight. Good, good outlook. Um, What's coming up chapter wise? What you know? You you're talking about dreaming Ooh. big, and, and you know what are you uh, what are you what are you praying through right now? Maybe that you can share that you're planning on implementing or, or being led to implement. Uh, I for the past two years I've been sitting the whole be still and know that I'm God and, and be patient, and it's been a sitting period for me. Um, it's mainly all sports related. I'll say the biggest thing is is I'm in talks with uh, a movie producer about possibly doing a movie on my story, either a full feature film or a documentary. Um, I'm rebuilding our baseball program in uh, Birmingham, but we're also starting exchange programs in third world countries mm-hmm. to where we take our kids on mission trips there to help kind of bring baseball over there. And, and But when we find kids in some of these third world countries that have good work ethic and have potential to maybe do some be- open some bigger doors for themselves, bring them over here to stay with host families and mm-hmm. get to know some of our kids and, and get to enjoy life. No pressure. They just get to come up here and enjoy life and, and open up some major doors for them. Uh, and, and then motivational speaking, uh, mainly focused on college and professional programs that probably can get more out of the story because some of the story I tell, I can't tell them here. Um, there's some salty language involved and there's some stories that probably doesn't need to be told on here, but uh, a lot of college athletes would resonate with because mm-hmm. it, it will remind them of arrogance that we go through as athletes that sometimes we need to tone down because it can get us into trouble. That sounds awesome. And I, I could see God using you in all those ways that you listed there. Man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, uh, you as well, Mr. Barnes. I look forward to uh, following your story and seeing how God continues to use you as I know he will. Well, thank you so much. It's it's um it's humbling to be able to be put in position for this to happen. Yeah. It really is because it's when you decide to share your story, most think you're doing it for publicity. It's actually really hard to because you know you're going to have to relive it over and over and over, and learning to how to to live through it by telling it without it affecting your life on a, a deep level. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people often the enemy is not omniscient, but he takes very good notes on us. He did that in my life. 
and he knows where to lay the blow. Uh, I call it a soul punch. And he did it with me. Uh, I I believe he does it with everybody. And the truth is everybody's got a soul punch coming from the enemy at some point in their life. And it's, it's, um, yeah, we do. Yeah. But I'll also say something advice. I mean, I'll leave this. My last statement is, is be open to seeing the good in everyone because you never know where you might get your biggest blessing. And I don't mean money wise. I mean, somebody offered you a piece of advice or kind words that you would maybe blow off. Anytime you go into any conversation, treat that person like you would treat the person that can help you the best financially in the world. Treat that person that has nothing exactly the same because those people, sometimes all they have to give you is kind words. And sometimes this, the very thing we need is kind words. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Cause that word of wisdom may be the biggest pivot point in your life. Amen. Michael, thanks for coming to the table. I'm going to let the people go. I'm going to tell them bye. I'm stick around, talk to you for just another moment after I let them go. But for those of you tuning in today, I just want to say thank you for being with us. Thank Michael again for being with us. And today has truly been Redemption's Table. And until next Monday, you'll hear the sound go out. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Until then, folks, we'll see you next week.